<clears throat> and uh, I want to use the story of David and uh, the story of David and going to the battle where he fights Goliath to bring out some principles today that I believe are very important in our lives. And um, I don't want to, I want to start by saying this, I don't want the familiarity of the text to cause us to brush past the deep truths that can be found in this passage. Sometimes because we have heard this story so many times, we feel like we've heard it every which way it can be taught and that there's nothing new, nothing further for us to get. And I would say this, that God's Word is is a living, breathing book. It is certainly full of truth. And just about the time you think you have it all, you'll realize you don't have it all. And I would say this, not only is there truth to continuously be found in its pages, but there are oftentimes times that we need to be reminded of truth that is found in its pages, that oftentimes we, through no fault of our own, no, no intentional neglect, we tend to forget. And <clears throat> so we'll look at several things today that hopefully will be a help to you. First Samuel chapter 17, and we'll begin reading in verse number 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. And Jesse said unto David, his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how the, battle, uh, how the brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went. And Jesse had, as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. Father, once again we come to you. We ask for the next few moments that you would help us as we come to the pages of this passage. Lord, may you teach us some things. May we have our hearts yielded and open to the leading of your Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. Father, we want nothing more today than to be drawn closer to you, to love your word, and to love you more, to have more of a desire to be obedient, and more of a desire to be pleasing to you. So help us as we take the opportunity today to spend a few moments listening to the sense of a passage that I believe will be a great help to us. And Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David is a a unique character in Scripture. There's a lot of uh, men of faith. There are a lot of men of examples that are given throughout Scripture. David is the only one that is referred to as a man after God's own heart. 
David was the one that God made an everlasting covenant with. Uh, certainly, it was very special in the eyes of God. And I don't believe that uh, David waited till he was up in years and fully mature to be able to develop the character that God found excellent in him, that God looked at. And we spent a little bit of time this morning in Sunday school dealing with the fact that when we get saved and, and God does the regenerative work in us, how we become His delight. In fact, the Bible says we become all of His delight. And there's an excellence that is found there that God uh, sees. And uh, certainly, uh, David began at a very young age. And uh, there's some things I want us to look at here as we get down to uh, the uh, verse number 20, if you will. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number... Um, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, verse number 20, uh, back up to verse 17, excuse me. And uh, the, the story here is that uh, the Philistines and Israel are at war. And, uh, the, of course, the three older brothers are off at war. David had been there, had come back to watch his father's sheep, which kind of is important here in a little bit. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that David was already there and had come home for the purpose of watching the sheep. Uh, because he's going to be accused of something later on. And uh, I think it's important to note that. But as we get to verse 17, the Bible says, And Jesse, now this is David's father, Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. I want us to notice several things here in this particular passage right at the beginning. And that is the decision that David made early on. The decision that David made early on. And his decision was to do the will of his father. David was obedient to what his father's will was. And if there's something that I could say that ought to be at the very foundation of every Christian life, it ought to be this desire that is inside of us to be obedient to the father's will. To be able to say, yes, Lord, I love throughout the Old Testament when God did come to some of these Old Testament saints and audibly called their names. I think of the time when he came in, in the temple and he called Samuel. You remember that? And, and he, Samuel thought it was Eli calling him. He went to Eli three different times. And finally Eli realized what it was. And Eli told him, he said, the next time you hear it, say, here am I. And I love that statement. When God called Abraham and he said, Abraham. You know what Abraham's response was? Here am I. I would think it would be wonderful if God's people could get to the place where we are so in tune and so desiring to be in the will of the Father that when there's something He has for us to do, even before we know the full extent of what it is, we say, Lord, it doesn't matter. Here am I. And in Isaiah, the Bible says that when God was talking among Himself and He said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, then said, am I, is that I? Here am I, send me. 
that God's people will, uh, instead of saying, boy, I don't, I, I'm glad I'm saved, but I hope God doesn't call me to do this, to say, Lord, whatever it is you have for me to do, my will is to do your will. I long to do your will. I seek for it. And David had a decision to make early on, before this story of, of defeating Goliath ever took place. The decision, and I believe the victory was won the moment the decision was made. For if David had not been willing to follow his father's will, there would have been no victory. So many times I think we miss out on the victories that God has for us simply because we have not yet gotten to the place where we have determined in our hearts, Lord, my will is not important. Yours is. I want to do the will of the Father. There are several things that happen here as Jesse tells David what to do in verse 17. He says, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren. I think David took that to heart, don't you? And carry these ten cheeses unto the captains, their thousand, and look how the brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and Nain, all the men of Israel, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And I want you to notice verse 20. There are several things I think we find that talk about David's character here when it came to doing the will of the Father. First of all, it says, and David, what? Rose up early. (laughs) There are times that when I was a kid, my mom and dad might have asked me to do something that I really didn't, wasn't all that excited about doing. You ever been there? Some of y'all grow up, remember that? And you obeyed, but boy, you sure drug your feet doing it, didn't you? Uh, You were kind of like, in fact, my mama used to say this, slow obedience is no obedience. Some of you probably had parents like mine. Uh, Because even though we were being obedient, there was not a desire to do the will of the Father. Now, I'm thankful that obedience is there, and there's a, an element of, I, I obeyed sometimes as a kid, not because I was supposed to, I, I obeyed because Dad had a belt. And there are times we need to obey. If we can't obey any other way, we obey because God said it regardless. But oh, how much sweeter it is if we can ever get to the place where we say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to have to do your will because I have to. I want to do your will because it's my desire. It's what I long to do. David, the Bible says, gets up early in the morning. And then I notice this. Notice it says this. He left the sheep with the keeper. He was responsible in doing the work that God had given him to do. In the the will of the Father, if you will. He, he, He didn't just leave the things that were supposed to be done undone. This was not a substitute for. This was in addition to. There are some people I've seen that, that neglect things that are vitally important, and they even they, they, they do things in the name of following Christ, but they leave other things undone that are scriptural. And then they say, I'm doing it because God told me to do it, and yeah, I may not be okay in this area, but I'm doing what God told me to do. You can't pick and choose. You do it all. You do what's right in Scripture, and then as the Lord leads you to do some things, You do that in addition to obeying Scripture, not in a replacement of. So he doesn't doesn't neglect the responsibility the Father had given him earlier in order to be obedient to the thing that the Father had given him now. But he did it all. 
He made sure that he was responsible for all that God that, that his father had given, and as you and I should be responsible for all that God gives us to do. It says, and he left the sheep with the keeper, and took and went. And by the way, I can't say enough about this. It's one thing to know God has something for you to do. It's another thing even to surrender to do the thing that you know God wants you to do. But at some point, you got to go beyond knowing, and you got to go beyond surrendering to do it. You got to just get up and do it. I don't know how many times I went back to my college town where I graduated from Bible college in years. I'm talking 10, sometimes 15 years after I had graduated from Bible college. And friends of mine that I had gone to college with and graduated the same year were still in the same town. And you ask them, what are you doing? And they say, I'm just waiting for God to show me what he wants me to do. Can I tell you this? You just sometimes need to get up and do what God wants you to do. There are a lot of people that have good intentions, and they, they say, boy, I just I want God's will in my life. And then they say, I believe I know what it is, and, and I want to work towards that. And they may even come to an altar and surrender to it and say, I, I believe this is what God has for me. But at some point, you got to put some feet to it. And you got to go. you got to do it. David didn't just know what his father's will was. He wasn't just willing to do his father's will. He got up early in the morning, and he did it. And then notice it says this, he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight. He wasn't afraid in doing his father's will. There's a battle going on. We're talking, I'm not talking about a video arcade game where you get to hit the reset button if you get killed. I'm talking about a real battle. We're talking about a life and death situation he's walking into. And as a young man, I'm certainly sure of the fact that he was at least young. He walks into the battle doing the will of the Father, and there's no fear. Why? Because he's doing the will of the Father. He comes to the battle when the battle's just getting started. It's just starting to heat up for the day. I mean, here comes Goliath. Here comes this giant, this mammoth of a man. A number of years ago, a fellow in our church took the uh, description of some of Goliath's armor. And uh, the, the spear that he had. And he calculated it out with the, the, the modern weights and the weights that they had used back then. And, and he found that the, the, he had gotten a carpet tube. It was about three inches round. And he had, he had found that thing. It was about, I don't remember how long it was now. I think eight or nine feet, maybe ten feet tall. And in order to get the weight of the head of the spear of Goliath, it took a 15-pound bowling ball on the end of that spear. I don't know about you, there's times I have a hard time swinging a bowling ball at the end of my arm. You put that thing on the end of a ten-foot pole and try to hold it out there and fight somebody with it. Let me tell you something, Goliath was not a weakling. Goliath, and I'm telling you this, not only that, the, the men of the Philistine armies, they were not weaklings. They were trained in battle. The, the, the Israelite army, these, these men, these grown men that are going forth to battle, these were men of of courage and strength and had trained. In fact, a little bit later in the story, Saul tries to give David his armor, and David said, I've not tried these. I'm not tested in them. I can't use them. Do you understand? This young man comes to the battle, and there's no fear. What is it that stops us from being willing to do the Father's will? Are we afraid in the day of battle? 
And I want you to notice not only was he afraid in the day, but he wasn't afraid in the day of battle, but notice what else it says. It says, and he shouted for the battle. He was excited to see the opportunity that God was giving his people to prove himself strong. David had the vision to see it. Saul may not have seen it. The armies of Israel may not have seen it. But David saw it. Can I tell you this? We need to make a decision in our lives at some point in the... If we haven't already, and even times when we do, we need to revisit the decision from time to time. Lord, I want to do the will of the Father. I want to be obedient to it. I want to be diligent to it. I want to be responsible to do all of it. I want to make sure that I am not afraid to do it. And I want to make sure that I have an excitement and a zeal to go and do it. I'm going to shout for the battle. Because I'm going to see that there's something you have in store that maybe nobody else can see. Certainly Saul didn't see it. The Israelite army didn't see it. But we find out a little bit later in the story, don't we, that David saw it. David saw it. David didn't look at it through the same eyes as the others. I believe it was this reason. Because first and foremost, David was willing to do the will of the Father. He was doing what Jesse said. I want you to notice, secondly, not only the decision that David had to make to do the will of the Father. I want you to notice the determination that he had to do the will of the Father. Look with me in verse number 23 for a minute. Let's back up. We're going to back up... uh, Verse 22, let's start in verse 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, how many of them? All of them fled from him. And were sore afraid. Was David afraid? If he was, he sure didn't show it. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. Now notice what David does. This young young man, not a man of battle, this young man, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Already David's wheels are turning, aren't they? Already he has a vision of what God can accomplish that day. Why? Because he was willing, I believe, first and foremost, to do the will of his father. He was submitted to his earthly father. I believe it just showed the heart that was willing to submit to his heavenly father. To just trust Him and obey. The songwriter wrote years ago, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. David spake to the men that stood by in verse 26, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of Israel? No, no. 
David had a recognition of who they belonged to, didn't he? The armies of the living God. And people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, now of all the people that you have to give thanks for in your life, it has to be your older brother. God, I believe, gives a special dispensation to younger siblings when they have an older brother, because older brothers always seem to know best. The only thing that tops an older brother is an older sister. They're such a great blessing and encouragement, aren't they? Those of you that have had them know that typically that's not the case. They're the first that will probably discourage you. They'll give you a hard time. They'll rib you hard. They're going to give you the hardest time they can. And Eliab is no different than any other older brother, I believe. He's just naturally being an older brother. And before we're too harsh on him, we do this a lot in our life too, don't we? Some Christians get excited about doing something God's called them to do, and the first thing we do is throw a wet blanket on it. First thing we do is say, well, brother, I think you're biting off a bit more than you can chew here. Now look what it says here. The Bible says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Now here's the accusation Eliab's making. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart, for thou art come now that thou mightest see the battle. Now wait a minute, Eliab. David had already been there and had gone back home originally to tend the sheep. How can you make such an accusation? But he did. Nowhere does it say that David argues with him. He doesn't try to set the record straight. He doesn't try to justify his motives. David is bent on one thing. Obeying the will of the Father. And he says this, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? He had something that was bigger than him and his brother. There was something in view that was larger than the little squabble that brothers may have from time to time. And so I would say this very carefully and just in passing. Be careful of getting in a squabble with a brother or sister in Christ. There are greater things that God has for you and I to do than to fight one another. I think Satan loves nothing more than to raise strife among brethren. He sits back and laughs as we fight one another. And so... Certainly, David has every reason to do this, but he does not do this. Notice what it says here. Verse number 30, I love this. And he what? Turned from him. Turned from who? He turned from his brother. He doesn't sit there and debate him. He doesn't sit there and give in to his anger and have a big argument and a big blow up. He simply turns from him, and what does he do? Does he allow himself to be discouraged by his brother? Does he say, well, if Eliab's against it, I might as well go back home. I, I, I'll, I'll tell my father I did my best, but 
Nobody's really helping me out here. I'm trying to do what He's asked me to do, but boy, it's gotten hard. Nobody told me it was going to be this hard to do the will of the Father. I guess I'll just go home and tell Dad that I couldn't do it. You know, I've seen a lot of Christians. The first time a little bit of opposition comes, they give up and say, Lord, I tried, but I couldn't. Not David. Look what it says. Verse number 30, And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. The determination. Not only did he have a decision to make early on, but now he had to have the determination to do the will of the Father. He had to make sure that whatever it took, he was going to complete the task at hand. Oh, that God's people would get a holy determination. Somebody used to call it years ago to get some grit in your crawl, to bear down. There's going to come persecution. There's going to become hardship in the Christian life. There's going to be a world that's going to hate us for the stand that we take. There's going to be a world that's going to falsely accuse us for the stand that we take. There's a world that's going to question our motives and demean our motives and slander our motives. And somewhere along the line, God's people have to say, I don't care what you say, I'm still going to do the will of the Father. And we're living in a day where we need some more of God's people to say it does not matter. I don't care if it's my own brother. I don't care if it's my own family member. I'm going to do what God has told me to do. And then we find, as we get to verse number uh, 30, He spake after the same manner, and the people answered Him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine. This is now the second time he's being told. First time he's ridiculed for his motives. You're naughty. You're prideful. You're down here just to see the battle. The second time, he's told he's not qualified to do it. The second time, he's like, you're not able to go and fight this Philistine. And can I tell you this? Satan is going to use every excuse in the book why you cannot do what God has for you to do. He may try to persuade you that you can't do it. He may question your motives. He may slander you. He may say you don't have the ability to do it. He says this. Philistine, you can't fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, and I want you to notice this, the the servant, thy servant, kept his father's sheep. There was a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him and slew him. Now this is a young man. I've been to... uh, uh, this little lion preserve over here in the uh, next county over in the St. Genevieve area. I've been to the cage. They've set the lion up there, and he's eight or nine foot high at the paws when they're up on the cage. And I'm sitting there looking at that thing thinking, I'm glad there is a steel cage and an extra fence between me and him. David, a young boy, young, young shepherd boy, the Bible says here according to, to this account, that he took that thing by the beard. 
I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't want to get close enough to get his beard. He gets this thing by the beard and he slays the lion and he slays the bear. And he does so because God enabled him to do it those times. And I would say this, that he demonstrated and he reviewed often and he remembered God's power and might in his past experiences that gave him faith to trust him for the future experiences. He remembered those times of great victory that God brought. He remembered those times of great ability that God wrought upon him. Allowed him to accomplish things that most people would look at and say, I can't do that. And so he rehearses these to, to Saul. He, he demonstrates the fact that it's not my training in battle that's going, going to win the fight. It is me being willing to be a vessel in God's hands that is going to win the fight. Because I'll tell you this, if you're waiting till you're able to do the work that God's called you to do, you're never going to make it. I remember a few years back I was talking with a fellow who felt like God had called him to preach and believed that that was what God had for him. He'd been mentoring and, and working with another preacher and after several years he had gone to him and said, I feel like I just got to, I've got to get out. I've got to pastor. I've got to preach. And the preacher he was mentoring under said, Brother, you're not ready yet. I understand there's some wisdom in trying to train and, and be ready for ministry, and you certainly don't want a novice in some areas. But I would say this that if there's ever a person that stands in the pulpit and feels adequate to the task, they should leave the pulpit. Because how can a fallible man take an infallible word from an infinite and a holy God and expect to do justice in the preaching of it? If you're waiting to be worthy of doing the work that God has called you to do, you're never going to do it. You just have to be willing. I believe every man ought to study to show himself approved unto God. I think we ought to do the very best we can. But may we never get to the arrogance of saying, I'm ready. I'd rather get to the place of saying, Lord, I may not be ready. But I will give you every ounce of strength I have and I'm willing. I'm willing. And here David comes and he's not depending upon his battle training. He's not depending on his strength or his size. He's not depending upon the armor. He's depending on God to do the work. And by the way, that ought to be the way we always serve the Lord. If all we do is depend upon our talents, our abilities, the things that God has enabled us to do are far more important than what we attempt to do in our own strength and our own might. In order to accomplish what God has for us, we must be dependent upon what He does through us. As a vessel. I was enjoying Wednesday night as Brother Oates brought the message from Ephesians chapter 3. And the fourth point of his prayer was that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. I thought, boy, what a, what a desire that ought to be in the hearts of every one of us. 
to be filled with all of the fullness of God. But can I tell you this, that if there is any part of us that fills us, we can't have all the fullness of God. Unless the vessel is emptied first, God can't fill it to the full and brim of Himself. It has to be an emptying of self and saying, Lord, I'm not well trained. I, I, I'm not a man of war. I don't have the battle scars. I don't have the battle training. I don't have the weapons or the armor training. But Lord, here am I. And I do have a vision of what you can do. And I'll go and I'll do the will of the Father. David, verse number 37, Moreover, said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. David had a decision to make early on. I believe none of what David accomplished. Let me rephrase that. None of what God accomplished through David. You see the difference? There's what we accomplish. And then there's what God accomplishes through us. None of what God accomplished through David would have ever been able to happen had he not been willing to do the will of the Father. He had a decision to make. He had a determination not to be swayed. He had a remembrance and, and demonstrated the, the past power of God working in his life that gave him confidence and faith for the future. To simply trust him. He didn't know anything better than to just trust the Lord. You remember, you remember when you used to be like that? I remember when I used to be like that. I mean, I got saved. I, I just thought God could do anything. As we get older, sometimes we lose that, don't we? <clears throat> Bible says in verse number 39, And David girded his sword upon his armor. And he said to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off. There's something that was not said here in Scripture. And I'm very careful to not try to preach things that are not found in Scripture. But there's something that David does not say here, but I believe is certainly implied. He looked at the armor. He looked at the sword. He said, I have not proved these. I think what went unsaid here was, but there is something I have proved. And I'm going to trust what I have proved. I don't, I don't think we're adding anything to Scripture to say this because I think it's illustrated in the verses above as he demonstrated that God had proved Himself to David over and over and over again. 
Why is it that we are so prone to put our trust in things that we cannot and do not prove? And we are so lax in trusting that which has been proven in us over and over and over again. David, the Bible says in verse number 40, he took his staff in his hand, chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. <clears throat> A lot of discussion over that. Some people say, well, Goliath had four other brothers, which historically I believe there's some evidence to that. He had four other brothers and maybe he had one for each of them in case the brothers came after him. I don't know. I, I like to think that David thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best and God's going to help me and if that one doesn't knock him out, I'll do another one, and I'll do another one. I, I think I can get five in before he, should, he, he gets me with his, his spear, but I'm just going to keep on going and going. I don't, I don't know what David's mindset was. But I know this. He picks up these stones. He puts them in the bag. And even with a, a scrip and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near the Philistine. Now, that's, that says something. He's not trying to play dodgeball with this guy. He's going right after him. The Philistine came and drew near unto David, and then they have a big discussion here. The Philistine said, verse number 43, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the field. Then said David unto the Philistine, come, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. And here I think we find the proof that while David did not find himself proven in armor and weaponry, he certainly found himself proven in the name of the Lord. For while the Philistine came with all of his armor and all of his weaponry, David said, I don't need any of that. I have the Lord. This day will the Lord deliver thee in my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give thy, thy carcass, the carcass of the host of the Philistine this day, into the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, <clears throat> that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. It wasn't for David's pride. Do we see that? I went to a couple of Bible colleges growing up and as I got out of high school and preparing for ministry. And I, I remember the times where everything was about rewarding the servant for all that he had done in the college. Awards, promotion, honor given to them, lifted up, lauded. Can I tell you this? David doesn't go to the battle expecting the nation of Israel to lift him up and for the soldiers to rally around him that day and carry him off the field of battle on their shoulders shouting, David, David. That's not David's goal. David doesn't do this so that, so that King Saul and all the leaders of Israel will look to him and say, what a great young man we have in our midst. You know what David's motivation was? David's motivation was that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
Can I tell you this? Our service is not about the recognition we get for serving Him. It's not about somebody patting us on the back and saying, good job. Oh, what a wonderful uh, ministry you have. Oh, how many people you're seeing saved. Oh, how wonderful your service is to the Lord. It should be about letting the world know there is a God. The God of the Bible. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. David had a decision to make early on. If David had never surrendered to the will of the Father, there would have never been the mighty deliverance that God gave to the nation of Israel. Oh, he may have found it some other way, and certainly if it was within God's doing, he would have made a way. But isn't this a wonderful truth as we see David's submissiveness to the will of his father? The decision he made to say yes. To see the determination that he had. To be undeterred to do and accomplish what needed to be done. To have a faith that because God had been mighty in His past, He had faith to trust Him to be mighty in His future. And all of this brought about a great, great deliverance. It came to pass in verse 48, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took fence of stone and slang it. And I, I remember as a kid, somebody saying, well, the stone knocked him down, and then he took the sword and chopped his head off to kill him. But I want you to notice what the Bible says. Verse number 49, he took fence, a stone, and slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into, the forehead, into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Was the Philistine dead already? According to this verse, he was. He said, why did he have to go cut his head off? I've heard people speculate on this. I'll tell you what I think. And I believe there's reason for this. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. They didn't flee until they saw that their champion was dead. How did they know that? Let's look at verse number 51. Then David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took out his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. That's when the Philistines knew he was dead. I don't know about you. If I'm the Philistines and... I'm on a hillside, and there's a valley between us and a hillside over there. I can see my champion in the valley running towards a young shepherd boy with no armor, just throwing a little sling around. I may or may not even be able to see the rock that flew from his hand up to the forehead, but all of a sudden I see my champion, this mighty man of battle, stagger and fall to the ground. If I'm the Philistines, I'm thinking... He's playing with him. 
He's trying to get him to come closer. I don't know what their thinking is. One thing I do know absolutely for certain, God took a young man with no sword, with no armor, and slew the mightiest man of the Philistine army and brought a great deliverance. Why? Because David said, I'm not trusting in my armor. I'm not trusting in my weapons. I'm trusting in what God can do through a willing vessel. He told the Philistine, he said, you come to me with the sword and the shield. He said, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. We're living in a time, folks, and I know this is a familiar familiar story, very familiar. And my fear is sometimes we'll miss the truth of the passage because we're so familiar with the story. Folks, these truths that we've spoken of today, four truths, vital truths, are so needful in the day that we're living in. We need to come to a place where we make a decision. The decision needs to be, Lord, I want to do the will of the Father. And then we need to buckle down and have the determination not just to make the decision, but to do it. We need to have that determination. And then we need to have the confidence and the faith when the opposition will come, and it will come, not to be discouraged by it. And give God the opportunity to bring about a great deliverance in our life. Folks, we're living in a time where we need to be strong and very courageous. We need to run to the battle. We need to cry out for those that are defying the living God and say there is a God. And we want to make sure that through our actions, through the willingness that we have to be used by Him, that all the earth can know that there is a God. What is it about the Christians in the world in 2024 that would cause the world to sit up and say, there is a God, and we know it because of these people that say they believe in Him. Are we the salt of the earth? Is there a difference that's made? It may be because we need to say, Lord, I want to yield myself to do the will of the Father. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, I pray that You'll take the message. Lord, it's a simple one. There's nothing profound in this or something new. It's certainly not new. It's very profound, but no, nothing new. Uh, Lord, we know these things. These are things that it ought to be at the very heart of the Christian life. These ought to be the normal.